Hi everyone, my name's uh, Dave Horsfall. I'm part of the North Central Gathering and I'm also the director of something called Leeds School of Theology. Uh, I'm going to be preaching to you uh, this morning looking at this um, group of verses in Colossians chapter one. Uh, just before uh, we get to those verses, I just want to share a little update with you about Leeds School of Theology. Uh, we're an informal school of theology based in Leeds, hence the name. And our vision is to equip you with healthy theology that empowers you to bring change to the world. You know, after 18 months of COVID and lockdown and church not happening as normal, I wonder if you feel just a little bit dry in your walk with God. Maybe God feels a little bit distant in that season. I've heard that from so many people. I felt that myself over the last year and a half. Well, maybe Lee's School of Theology actually offers you an opportunity to really invest afresh in your walk with God, invest afresh in reading the scriptures and getting more out of them than you have done before. Maybe coming on Lee's School of Theology is an opportunity for you to draw close to the Father again and hear what he has to say to you and get a greater understanding of who he is and his work in your life. Um, we've got a few updates of what's going on. Our next day school is starting in January, January the 15th, 2022. And the exciting news about that is we're going to be back in person. And so we'll be running our Saturday uh, day school course um, in person at the St. George's Centre in Leeds City Centre. And um, that runs over 10 Saturdays throughout the year with a break in August and December. Uh, the second thing is, for the first time ever, we're going to be teaching Old Testament Hebrew uh, on our year three course. And so if you've ever wanted to learn how to read Old Testament Hebrew, how to read the Old Testament and passages in the Old Testament in, in the original languages, then we're going to be running that on our year three course. Uh, the third thing to let you know about is... Maybe you've heard about Leeds School of Theology before, but you've never been quite sure, is this for me? Would, would I enjoy this? Would I connect with this? Would this kind of fuel my walk with God or not? Well, we're going to be running a free one-off Leeds School of Theology session just for people in Mosaic Church to give you a taster of what studying with Leeds School of Theology is like. We're going to run it on a midweek evening. We'll be getting the details to you about that really soon but it's basically an opportunity for you to come for an evening and uh, hear us talk about a particular topic get to discuss it get to kind of thrash out your thoughts and what you think about it and also if you come to that evening taster session and give us your name and your email address we're going to give you a special discount code uh, that gives you 10% off the price of your day school ticket if you decide to sign up afterwards so a really good incentive there to come along and see if Leeds School of Theology might be for you. And of course, you can check out all the details about Leeds School of Theology on our website. Just Google Leeds School of Theology and we'll pop up there at the top. OK, well, I'm going to be uh, speaking to you this morning from uh, Colossians chapter one. Um, uh, so I'm just going to read those verses and then we'll kind of unpack them. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 21 through the end, verse 23. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to have that open. If not, the, the verses will appear on the screen. Paul writes into this church in Colossae, and he writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, we're just looking at three verses, but in those three verses, Paul has crammed a lot of really key uh, information and concepts and good news for the church in Colossae, the kind of original audience for this letter, but also for us today. And the major thing you see in these verses is they're all about change. They're all about transformation. They tell us about the story of how God has changed and transformed and rescued you and I and um, about the future that awaits us and the hope that we have in the good news of the gospel. And uh, the way I'm going to kind of split those up is I think this these verses tell us about the drama of salvation. I think they tell us about life transformation that the gospel brings and also the greatest hope we can have. So that's what we're going to kind of be looking at this morning. So let me, <laughs> excuse me, let me start with um, those opening verses 21 and 22. Paul writes, once you are alienated from God and you are enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In two verses, Paul has kind of unpacked this amazing kind of story, this drama of salvation about God's rescue and redemption of humanity. But I just want to pause for a moment because um, Paul starts with the diagnosis of a problem. Uh, he says, we were alienated from God, enemies, hostile in our minds, performing evil deeds. And I just want to pause and you're going to have a moment to think about this. What what comes into your mind when you think about those terms? Alienation from God, kind of being enemies in your mind, performing evil deeds. Just think for a moment, what do you think about that? How does that resonate with your experience and your background and your life and you can be really honest maybe you feel like it resonates a lot maybe not at all but we're just going to take a minute to think about that question okay welcome back everyone uh, i wonder what you came up with and what you spoke about and um, if i'm honest when i hear that language of you were alienated from god you were enemies from him you were hostile in mind and you're you performing evil actions when i think about my kind of personal story of becoming a christian and um, it, it doesn't it doesn't match up like super well you know when before i became a christian i was just not bothered about god i was kind of disinterested I'd never really thought about him. I wasn't I wasn't really concerned in kind of seeking him out. And I was just kind of going about quote unquote normal life. And maybe that's similar for you. Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and actually you've known God from really young age. And so you kind of look at your life and you think, well, actually, I've, I've kind of always been friends with God or I've known him as a friend. And then there'll be some of you who will hear those verses and think, actually, you know what? 
there was a time in my life I hated God and I was his enemy and I was against him until I came to know him. Or maybe you're not sure what you think about Jesus at the moment. And so you're trying to figure that out. What Paul is describing here isn't so much the experience of every single individual. He's not necessarily saying you all had this moment where you hated God and you were rebellious against him and you were his enemies in everything you did and everything you thought. What he's talking about here is the state the whole of humanity was in, whatever our kind of experience of that looked like. He's saying there was a problem with humanity and humanity's problem as a whole is that we were far from God. Humanity as a whole had enmity against God. We weren't thinking the way God thinks. We were evil in our deeds. We weren't acting in the way that God wanted us to act. As a whole, the human race was alienated from him. And, you know, in ancient Jewish thought, there were two major reasons why that was the case. The first was our sin, our kind of turning, our, our corporately, our turning our back on God. And sin seeps into everything. Um, a friend of mine described it as it's like the red sock in the whitewash. It just tarnishes everything. Everything comes out stained by the red sock. Sin is like that. It seeps into all of life. Every thought, every action is tainted by this turning away from God. And that was humanity's state. The second reason for that problem was a cosmic rebellion against God that some of the angelic beings that God had created, they had also turned against God and they were against his purposes and plans. And they were at work in the world to um, turn humanity and turn creation away from God. And in Jewish thought, those were kind of really common ideas as to what the, what the reason for the problem was. But ultimately, it meant humanity is, is turned from God. And the thing is, we see that in the world, don't we? You only have to bring up BBC News on any given day of the week and you look at the top five headlines and you see war and discord and famine and hunger and abuse scandals and yet another person coming out saying they were abused by somebody when they were younger. You see a world turned from God. We see actions that people are doing that are evil. We see hostility in people's minds away from the plans and purposes of God. And Paul's making this big statement saying that is the state of humanity without God's intervention. The next amazing thing that Paul says, however, is that God has acted. God has acted in the person of Jesus in order to reconcile this alienated humanity and this alienated creation back to himself. God has acted through the death and resurrection of Jesus to bring humanity and creation out of the power of sin, away from this cosmic rebellion against God, to rescue them into relationship with God. At the cross, Jesus dies and he pays the penalty that humanity owes for their sin. He dies in humanity's place, which means humanity moves from death to receiving eternal life. On the cross, sin claims Jesus as its victim. He is condemned on the cross, but he rises three days later to show that rather than us being condemned, we receive a pardon, we receive forgiveness. Uh, Jesus's action on the cross turns humanity 
around. It allows us to come and stand before God, free from sin, pardoned and forgiven, receiving eternal life, not eternal death. That's why Paul says this is good news. This is the story of humanity's relationship with God. And Paul goes one step further. He says that because of what Jesus has done, he can present us wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. We're brought into this relationship with God where God gives us the status of Jesus himself. When God views humanity, the church, those who have turned to Christ, he sees them in the same way that he sees his son Jesus, holy, blameless, free from accusation. And this is a present reality, but it's also a future reality. It's how God views us now. But there's a day coming where you will stand before the creator of all things face to face. And you will have the intimate relationship with the father that Jesus has with the father. You, too, are a beloved child of God. He will welcome you into his presence. That's the good news of the story of Jesus. And it's a transforming news. Because if you know that that is your story, it changes the way you think about your life. It changes the way you think about your meaning and your purpose and your value and your identity. So we're just going to pause for another moment. Think about that story, that rescue from alienation to reconciliation with God, the father drawing you close, pardoning your sin um freeing you from the penalty of death where does that give you hope today where does that speak life to you today so let's just have a moment to think about that welcome back for me at the moment where that's really speaking to me is is a real hope in the face of all the negative news that we see. You know, there's a, there's a coming moment where Christ will reconcile the whole of history and the whole of creation. There'll be no loose ends. There'll be no leftover justice. There'll be no eternal sadness. There'll be no everlasting regret. There'll be no endless futility. I have a hope in what he has done through the cross and resurrection, I have a hope of the future that is coming that, if I'm honest, really lifts my spirit in a world of really negative news at the moment. When we know our story, it transforms our here and now, our present reality. So if that's the drama of salvation, I think what we also see is a life transformed we already touched on this that Jesus is going to present as holy in his sight without blemish and without accusation but you may have heard that and thought uh well I can give you a list of things in the last week that would make me not holy in God's sight not without blemish not without accusation we live in this now and not yet where God has spoken something that is true over us but it is something that we're being transformed into. God has given us a status, but he's also empowered us so that we can be transformed uh, and live out the good of that status in the here and now. We have a trajectory of transformation that God has given us. You know, in uh, the letter to the Colossians, Paul, um, a couple of times, uh, gives the Colossians this instruction to fix your hope 
on Christ who is seated in heaven. Fix your eyes on Christ who is your life seated at the right hand of the Father. He's instructing them not to look at how they are doing their actions and their thoughts. He's saying, look to where Christ is seated. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And because you have union with Christ, because you are one with Christ, you are also seated there. You are seated in the closest possible relationship with the Father. You're already forgiven and pardoned, which means there is a freedom in the here and now to enjoy that close relationship with the Father. There's a security that comes from that, which means you can draw close to him. You can come close to him. You can speak to him. You can ask him to transform you because you're already accepted. You're already loved. You're already drawn close. That's the, the fuel and the power of transformation. You're already loved. You're already accepted. You're already drawn close. And more than that, God gives you his Holy Spirit to fuel and empower you to live differently, to think differently, to act differently. One of the results of Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father is that the Father and the Son pour out the Holy Spirit on the brothers and sisters of the church. He pours out the Holy Spirit onto you and me. So we receive the Spirit when we come into relationship with God. We're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with God's presence and God's power to transform us and to change us. Now, what does that look like? Because that's a great truth, but how do we apply that to day-to-day -day life? Well, I was thinking about this and I was kind of like, I, I really don't think it's rocket science. I think it's, it's really quite simple. I think we need to invest our time developing a relationship with God's spirit. And I think we need to cultivate walking in step with the spirit in the activities that we do in the here and now. So let me unpack both of those. We need to spend time with the spirit. The spirit's described in scripture as a friend, as a counselor, as one who draws alongside. So think of your best friends. Think of somebody that you're really close to. You know, when you spend more time with them, what other people will tell you when they see you together is, oh, you sound the same. You make the same jokes. You kind of finish each other's sentences. You think the same because you spend so much time with that other person. They, they affect the way you think, the way you speak. Well, the Holy Spirit is described in scripture as a friend who is like that. We're to draw, um, the spirit draws alongside us so that we can cultivate fellowship with the spirit and relationship with the spirit. So we need to be spending time with the spirit, praying to the spirit. And there's, there's a whole host of different ways that you can be doing that. Um, you might want to go for a walk in nature. You might want to spend some time praying in tongues. You might want to spend some time asking the spirit, what does it look like to walk closely with you today? There's a whole host of things that you can be doing. But the most important thing is that we are intentional about that relationship with the spirit because the spirit is the one who has the power to change us, that power to transform us, the one who can um, change our thinking so we focus on the truth of God, not on the lies that we hear so often about our, ourselves. And the second thing is we wanna walk in step with the spirit. We wanna do the things and focus on the things that the spirit calls us to do and focus on. You know, there are some things that will really help your relationship with the spirit and some things that will really not help your relationship with the spirit. And there are activities that you can do that fuel a closeness to the spirit, spending time with him, praying uh, with him, but also cultivating generosity, acting out of service.
and um, seeking to love other people even when that's hard praying for people that you kind of feel a bit bitter towards or you have anger towards praying for them and blessing them they're all activities that keep us in step with the spirit and there's loads of things we can do that draws away from the spirit what we what we watch with our eyes what we listen to how we talk about things they they can all be things that draw us away from how the spirit wants us to act but rather than me giving you like 1500 things you could do we're going to pause again and i want you to pray and you might want to pray this out loud you might want to pray it in your heart but i just want you to pray to the holy spirit and i want you to ask him what does it look like for me to intentionally spend time with you this week and what does it look like to walk in step with you this week those two questions so let me give you a minute to do that Okay, welcome back. Now, for some of you, you're really accustomed to doing that, it comes very naturally, you will felt you know what the Spirit's saying. For others of you, that might be quite new and you're not quite sure. Here's, here's how it works for me. Most of the time when I pray to the Spirit, a thought pops into my mind or a person or an activity, and I kind of go in faith that that's what the Spirit's brought into my mind, and then I just kind of act on that. So the spirit might have said, I want you to take some time to just spend some time praying with me. So I'll go, right, I'm going to spend 15, 20 minutes this week just specifically praying to the spirit and cultivating relationship with him. Or I might have felt oh, generosity and I might have just thought, OK, well, let's act in faith and, and be generous in some way this week. And basically, it's that step of faith of saying, I think you've spoken to me, spirit. I think you're guiding me. So I'm going to respond. I'm going to act in obedience. And you keep doing that cycle, speaking to the spirit, trying to hear from him, acting in obedience. And what you notice is you change. Your mindset changes, your activity changes, your heart changes, because that's what the spirit loves to do. He loves to fill us with his presence, fill us with his power in order to conform us to the image of Jesus, in order to make us look more like Jesus. And most of the time, that's an incremental change. The Christian life's a marathon, not a sprint. The Holy Spirit changes you incrementally over time to look more and more like Jesus. The spirit and your spirit kind of mingle together until you can hardly tell them apart. You just are acting and thinking and speaking as the spirit is, has formed you to act, think and speak like. OK, the third thing that we see in these verses is we have a greater hope. Paul ends by saying, um, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. There is a hope that the good news of Jesus gives us, but we could turn away from that hope to other offers, as it were. And we've already seen what that hope is. It's a hope of resurrection, that death is not the end. It's a hope of freedom from sin, freedom from the things that would seek to um, hold us fast and take us over and keep us um, a, a, you know, negative habit, habits, sinful habits, uh, addictions, that, that kind of constriction that sin brings, the hopes that the gospel frees us from that. Uh, a gospel hope of being close to the Father and uh, having relational intimacy with God. The hope of a new creation that one day the evil and the injustice of this world will end and a whole new creation will come about. Those are the hopes of the gospel. The hope of a family, that the church is your spiritual family, that you will find spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters who will love you and invest in you and care for you. Those are the hopes of the gospel. But there are other hopes, hopes that the culture 
uh, offers to us, hopes of chasing after a, a better house, a nicer car, a better career, more income in the bank balance, a better kind of final figure for your pension, the hope of foreign holidays, whatever it might be, the, these hopes that culture just constantly kind of puts out there and says, just, just work so hard to get this job, just pay the money for that extra um, kind of um, add-ons for your car, you know, spend that more money so you can travel further on the plane and, you know, see different parts of the world. But those are the kind of hopes that culture so often offers to us. And to steal a quote from somebody else, they described it a bit like you're, you're offered two pictures, two people to aim for. One is Princess Diana and the other is Mother Teresa. Princess Diana is kind of held out as this grand hope, this amazing kind of prestige and fame and influence and wealthy life that no one really can live up to, that nobody has an opportunity to actually live like that, but that she's plastered over the media, kind of this glitzy, glamorous lifestyle is held up as like, you know, this is what you want to become. And then you have Mother Teresa, on the other hand, a life of service, and love for others, not a perfect life, but a life of giving herself away in love and sacrifice and being alongside the poor in Calcutta, in India. Culture says, go for the wealth and the fame, and the glitz and the glamour, but you'll never get there. No one will really achieve that. It will always let you down. The gospel says, open yourself up to receiving the love of God, the self-sacrificial love of God that changes us so we can be open to love other people so that we can be open to serve other people, so that we can be a force for good in our community, so that we can speak words of life and encouragement to those around us. That's a path that's actually open to everyone because all that is required is a relationship with God and his empowering by the Spirit. That's the wide and open path that God invites us to choose. There is a battle for your hopes. Which one are you going to put your hope in? the hopes of the gospel, a life transformed, a life open to love, a life open to receiving from God in order to give out, or a life of striving to pursue possessions and money and status, which is so fragile and so limited and so few achieve it. What the gospel calls us to is allegiance to the Lord Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father, the Lord Jesus who's Lord of the universe. The gospel says, bow the knee to him. Bow the knee and put your hope in him, not in the abundance of possessions, not in the pursuit of material gain. Put your hope in the source of life, the source of love, the source of meaning and purpose. So to end, I'm going to pray that we would pledge our allegiance to him. Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh with the ability and the power to bow the knee before King Jesus. To give our affection on our allegiance to him, to say no to the false hopes that are so often advertised to us and say yes to the true hope of life and love in the gospel. The life and love that the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, pours into our hearts the closeness and the love of the Father that we can enjoy, the filling of the presence and the power of the Spirit that you have poured out upon us. Let us put our hopes in the salvation you've won for us. Let us put our hope that you are a transforming God who by your Spirit is conforming us into the image of your Son 
Jesus Christ. Amen.